It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think you're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Joe is still working night shifts, so he answers some questions from you as it is mailbag day here on the Lockdown Bengals podcast. He'll answer a few questions in our second segment of the show, and I've got some questions in the third segment of the show. And there's some news today. The CBA is either close to approved or approved with owners and players coming together to work on finishing the CBA, and there are some bits that are relevant to the Bengals. We'll get more into those next week, but I did answer one question about the CBA in the second part of the mailbag. But first, I want to talk. I I know I said yesterday I wasn't going to talk about Joe Burrow, and I was going to let it go, and I was going to say, you know what, I can only talk about this once a week. But then a video came up. He was down in Dallas, and he was talking to a TV station down there. Keith Russell, who's a reporter for CBS DFW, had a quick two-minute interview with Joe Burrow that's on YouTube, and this guy sounds like so far from anyone who would ever refuse to play for a team, and we're going to listen to that, and we're going to talk about this a little bit today, because I'm just, I, I want to I fight it. I know I said yesterday I couldn't deal with it, and, and it's ridiculous, but I'm going to fight it because it's so, it's so beyond the pale. So let's get into that. The narrative continues in the national media, pushed by pro football talk. No longer Dan Patrick. He's learned, I think, to stay out of it. He got some vitriol from the city of Cincinnati with his couple shows suggesting that Joe Burrow should Eli Manning his way out of Cincinnati. And lately it's been Colin Coward. It's a lot of Mike Florio, like I said. It's been anybody who has a platform that is talk radio-esque. Anybody who can talk about it, the ringers putting out stories, Yahoo Sports, you name it, there's something saying, should Joe Burrow force his way out of Cincinnati? And you just listen to the guy talk, nothing he said, first off, ever suggests it. And we've talked about that in this segment and on the Locked On Bengals podcast before. People are reading between the lines, grasping at straws, saying, oh, he's, he's showing hesitation. He's talking about leverage. 
he's talking about blah, blah, blah. And none of this has anything to do with the Cincinnati Bengals. He's been asked point blank, and he said, I have my process, they have their process. That's what everyone says at this point in the draft season. Burrow will meet with the Bengals as soon as this weekend at the NFL Combine, which starts on the 23rd. But this interview he did with Keith Russell in Dallas-Fort Worth, in my opinion, just puts it all to bed. And there's two clips that we're going to listen to that I think speak to the fact that all of this is way overblown by the media. No, he's not committing to the Bengals, but why would you commit to the Bengals in February? Nobody does this. It's not Burrow's job to put the speculation to bed, and the NFL wants the pageantry. So here's the first clip we're going to listen to from that talk with Keith Russell down in Dallas. Number one pick in the NFL draft, the Bengals select. <laughs> that's not for me to decide. That's, uh, that's out of my control. Even, even as a guy from Ohio, it's up to them. It's up to them. So there's two ways you can take this, and I guarantee you the way the national media wants to spin this is that he's not saying, he's not embracing it. He's not saying, yeah, I want to go back to Ohio and play for the Bengals. That would be a lot of fun, although he did say that, and there's plenty of coverage on that if you look for it. He said going back to Ohio would be fun, but in this particular clip, oh, he doesn't say anything. No, he says, it's not up to me. And that's what he's been saying all along. He's saying it's up to them. He's not saying, oh, you know, they have their process to go through. I have my process to go through. He's not even deflecting it in this interview. He's just saying that isn't up to me. That isn't up to me doesn't mean I don't want to go to Cincinnati. And if that is a conclusion you can draw from that clip, that's beyond me. But even if you get that from from that first little soundbite from Joe Burrow, what he had to say later Again, should should put it all to bed. He sounds like he's open to whatever comes his way, and the humility is palpable. And let's take a listen to what he had to say that exemplifies that. You want to have as much success as you can early in your career, but at the same time, you understand that as a rookie, you have a lot to learn. And you know, I'm going to go into wherever, wherever I'm, I'm drafted and be the best teammate I can be. If they ask me to hold a clipboard for three years, that's what I'm going to do. And then when my opportunity arises, I'm going to take advantage of it. When you hear a guy say, if they want me to hold a clipboard for three years, that's what I'm going to do. And when my opportunity arises, I'm going to do my best, whatever team drafts me. Does that sound like a guy who's going to put an ultimatum out there? You read Jeff Hobson's piece on Bengals.com. He went to Athens, Ohio, and the people he talked to there said that this fits for Joe Burrow. Everybody told Joe Burrow that, oh, you can't win at LSU. They're a two tight end offense. What are you doing? And then he goes down there changes the offense, wins a national championship. Now everyone's saying, you can't win in Cincinnati. You can't turn that team around. This is a kid that turned around his high school football program in Athens, Ohio, who won a national championship for LSU and transformed that college football program, particularly changing the offense, elevating Joe Brady's star and his own star to be sought after in the NFL. And now he's got another challenge. And people that knew him in Athens think he's up for that challenge. And when you listen to this, you hear a humble player who's going to do everything he can to be the best football player for whatever team drafts him. Whatever team drafts him. And that's going to be Cincinnati. Want to go see your Cincinnati Reds this spring during spring training? Well, Arizona is a great place to go. Not only see baseball, but to see everything else. And if you go down there and go down for the Cactus League, they've got... 10 stadiums, 15 MLB teams, 75-degree temperatures. All 10 stadiums are in the greater Phoenix area within 50 miles. 
Yeah, you can go down and see your Reds in Goodyear Park down there. Or maybe, we've talked about it before, you're into the craft beer. They've got Four Peaks, Angel's Trumpet Ale House, Goldwater Brewing Company, all known for great beer. Or maybe you're into hiking. Maybe you want to get out in the desert for the numerous national parks down there. Go up to the Grand Canyon. And if you do the canyon, make sure you bring enough water because it's the way back. Unlike most hikes, that's challenging. It's easy going down, hard coming up. Kind of the opposite of the Bengals. We had a hard time with this bad year, and we're going to come up next year. So go on down to Arizona. Take yourself a little spring break. Plan your getaway at visitarizona.com slash springtraining. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My turn to answer some questions. It's Joe Goodberry here. And the first thing I want to start with is a question PFF posted on their Twitter handle or Twitter page. And they ask, if you were the Cincinnati Bengals, what would you take for you to trade the number one overall pick? So to trade that away, what would it start with? What, What would it take for you to even consider it because we're this far in the process even with the noise I think it makes it interesting to consider um and I said you don't even answer the phone I don't answer the phone unless you have five first round picks right on the table right then and there because I and that's where I start it, it comes with I mean you could pull up the trade value chart and things like that and it's not going to be enough nothing you can offer before five first round picks is even close to enough and I say five and I'm really only talking about the Dolphins because they have three this year, and then you would take their next two, because they're pro- probably still going to be picking top five to ten next year, because they have such a bad roster, and you'd be um, taking away a lot of those picks. And that's just to start. I'd want some of their second rounders from this year. I'd want some second rounders from next year. That's I'd want to be loaded with picks to the point where you can't fail, and you could still fail. But when you look at the teams that have traded back from these spots, and it usually never works out for them. Because you got to think you're going to hit on half of those picks if you're good. Hitting on half of those, say you end up with eight premium picks, you end up hitting only half. You get four premium players on the team. Does that offset the cost? And one of them is going to be for a quarterback, right? So now you only hit on three others. Is Justin Fields and a good guard, um, linebacker, and corner worth the difference in Joe Burrow? In my opinion, it's not. The opportunity cost isn't worth it. You take Joe Burrow and you move on from there. And, and that ends that one really quickly. Because that means only the Dolphins can call you. Because I wouldn't want five first-round picks spread out over five years. That doesn't do enough. The Bengals have to maximize a short window. And spreading out five first-round picks over five years does not do that. Because they would lose some of those big free agents by the time they hit that fifth year. So that's as far as I go with that question. Um, I got some other ones. You guys hit us up on the Lockdown Bengals Twitter handle. Make sure you follow that. Make sure you um, send your questions to them. I know a lot of you will send me some on my account. They get washed out. So there's days I'm getting 300 or, or so, maybe more. I don't count them. It just feels like 500 <laughs> some days. Um, uh, mentions on my account, and your question will get lost. I, I want to get to it, but then 
by the time I get back to it, it's just gone. Same with the, with the DMs; those are always going, and I just re- never really have a chance to uh, to get back to that stuff. So, moving on to the questions now. I liked a few on the on the account. That's how you know usually that your question has a good shot of getting in. And I'll start right from the top. It's from it's from Alex Hamilgarn. I think Hamilgarn. I think I'm on that right. Alex Hem. When looking at draft prospects, how much stock do you put into quality of college competition? Doesn't matter for certain positions. You do put some stock into it. Obviously, if you're out there just beating up, let's take take an example. We'll, we'll start at the extremes. Take a D2 or D3 guy. He better dominate, right? If he doesn't dominate the competition in front of him, he's not worth the pick. You, you, you can end the tape on one, one viewing. Um, if he does, great. Then that's what he's supposed to do. And so it doesn't even help him that much, right? Uh, it just says, okay, you're at least interesting. But if if it's a guy from like Boise State and they may play one or two good teams all year, like Utah, and then maybe they get in a non-conference game against Oregon, or I don't even know if that's in their conference. My point is, you get a big team and you play them, and uh, you that's the tape. Those are the tapes you start with. You get may have like I remember going back and watching Andy Dalton's tape, and he had two or three big games. Those are the tapes you start with. How does he play against the best competition? And while that's worth a lot and valuable, it doesn't tell the whole story. I think, staying on Boise, actually, I remember Doug Martin. uh, That year there was some other, Trent Richardson, yeah, from Alabama that year. And Doug Martin was from Boise State. And there were questions like, well, you know, who did he play? He's breaking all these tackles, but who did he play? And the trends or history shows it really doesn't matter. If you break tackles at a college level, as long as you're not playing complete bums, and I'm talking like the lowest of the lows, as long as you're playing your fair competition and you're breaking tackles or making people miss, that will translate to the NFL. Whereas Trent Richardson was more of a power guy that would run through people, had great blocking at Alabama and played against great competition, it really didn't end up end up translating to the NFL game. Now he had other issues, I think, uh, and Doug Martin was was fantastic for a short period but the point is that you still have to take them case by case and see what translates if a guy goes out there and say he's a receiver and he just makes contested grab after contested grab contested grab at arizona state and he doesn't really play too much competition he doesn't really separate from those guys that are running four fives and four sixes you kind of will be like hmm you know i don't know that he's going to get open against higher level athletes in the NFL and I think that's where it goes to and so it's a case-by-case thing and in in the case of Joe Burrow doing it against SEC defenses the entire year is impressive he there was no competition for what LSU was doing on offense so that is a good thing it's a bonus point if anything it's not a whole basis of your evaluation it's a bonus point next question is from Zach Scalfaro who are some players you'll make a final decision on when the combine results are finalized? Who are you looking forward to the most? And I'm kind of going to change your question a little bit, Zach, uh, because I don't know that I'm in position to finalize grades because I'm still working through tape on a lot of these guys. But it is the right question because teams are at that point now to put the final stamp on them unless they need to meet them, right, and, and see these guys face-to-face. That's part of the, the process. But... Uh, for the combine, it depends on the player. Because if a guy like Isaiah Simmons, the Clemson linebacker, tests like a freak, does that push him from a top five player to a top three player? Probably not. Uh, you already know he's a, an athletic freak, right? If a guy is super fast, Henry Ruggs is super fast, right? We know he's fast. 
and then he goes goes and runs a four two eight. Are we like, nah? He's got to go top ten now. That will be the narrative, but it's not correct. It, it's you shouldn't count it twice. So if a guy is slow and you know he's slow and you still like him and he runs slow, you don't move him down the board. He is exactly what he tested. So for like eighty percent of these guys, they're going to do exactly what you thought, and that's the goal. They're supposed to just make it out cleanly and do exactly what the tape says. But there's going to be twenty percent and probably ten on each side that either test way below what you expected or way above what you expected. And those are the guys, so like 80% of these guys, you can hit the final stamp on and say, we're good, let's keep moving the tape, confirms what we saw. Or the measurements confirms what we saw on the tape. For the other 10% on each side, you have to go back to the tape. And so if he runs really fast or or jumps high or is really athletic, you're going to say, man, I didn't see that too much on tape. I'm going to have to go back and look. Is he a freak athlete and just wasn't used that way? Go and watch. Or the opposite. Someone like Orlando Brown a few years ago, who was projected as a top 20 pick, had the worst combine performance of all time for tackles. And everyone goes, whoa, is he unprepared? Is he not working? Is he a guy you're going to have trouble with like that? Is he that poor of an athlete? We know he wasn't great, but was he that poor? Is it going to really be that hindrance to him? Let's go back to the tape and watch. And ended up, did he go late second or third round? Either way, it dropped him. He lost a lot of money. Uh, So it will have an effect on their stock. It will not have an effect on their grade, if that makes sense. Because think of John Ross. He was liked as a late first, early second round prospect. But then he runs the 4-2-2, and he had some other tests that were really good too until he got hurt at the combine. Of course, should have been a red flag again. But because he ran that fast, if you're a team picking 10, 11, 12, 14, 15, whatever, and you you had him as a late first rounder, you're going to say now, we don't have the opportunity to draft him. He's not going to be there in round two. He's not going to be there at our spot. So you either have to draw a line and say, is he a first-rounder for us? If you pick 10, you have 10 first-round people, right, that you are that you can target. You can't target 15 guys. Because that doesn't make sense. You're going to end up with six guys at your board at, at the time when you get there, which I'm talking about two different things here because that would be you're still going to have 20-something first-round grades. But, I mean, your targets and ex- expectations. So then when you pick again at 42 – You shouldn't expect a guy that you still have at 12 to be there. If he is, great. But you have to decide now. If you had a guy that was at 18 and you picked 10, and let's say that's where John Ross was, do we need him enough? Does he fit us enough? Is he that valuable enough that we need to elevate him and put him into that first group of 10 players? And the Bengals did. So the grade didn't change, but the valuation of them will. Uh, Next question here, probably my last one. I I went a little farther on on these uh, Oh, I got two more because there's one good one. Uh, this is from Chris Bentel. With the assumed picking of Joe Burrow, number one overall, what does this mean for the longevity of the coaching staff? Does Taylor have a longer leash now because he is dealing with a rookie quarterback or a shorter leash because the window is now open? How much pressure is there? I will say typically you'll get two years now. And you'll draft the guy. You'll have the rookie year. You hope to see progression. It's you know Wins and losses are great, but you're trying to see – is the mesh, is the is the fit good with these two? And then you get year two for Burrow, which is year three for Taylor and staff. And you may have some pressure to make some changes, but I expect Taylor would be here for that. And that's when you say, okay, the Super Bowl window is now open in year two. The goal is the playoffs. The goal, if you draft Joe Burrow in 2020, the goal is to make the playoffs in 2021. And then that's when the pressure starts. So you have this opportunity. It gives you a a year to get it together, 
even though he already had one, you get a year to get it together with the new quarterback, and then you have to strike because the window is open, and that's what it comes down to. So 2021 is when we know, um, when we know when how long Zach Taylor will be here with the Bengals. You know, they go eight and eight, then he may still be here like Marvin did, but if they blow it again, then he's gone, in my opinion. Uh, last question for me is more of a fun one. It's from Caleb at OSU Bengals. He says, it's the offseason, so let's change it up. Would you rather give up meat for a year or alcohol? I think that's tough for a lot of listeners, unless you're a vegetarian. I would give up alcohol. I'd probably drink. Uh, I'd probably get drunk maybe five times a year. i have a drink probably once a weekend. So I could give that up easy. I eat meat every day, every other day? Probably every day. I th- I've never thought about that. I think I eat meat every day. So I think a lot of you are like me. Uh and would say give up alcohol, maybe, I guess. Actually, give me your answers on the Locked On uh, Twitter page and tell me what you would do. Would you give up meat or give up alcohol for a year? Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And as promised, I'm going to finish up the questions in the mailbag today, and we'll just get right on into it. First question I'm going to answer comes from Nick Green at ngreen796 on Twitter. He asks, if Burrow does get drafted by the Bengals, how much of an effect on attendance at Paul Brown Stadium do you think he'll have? Obviously, the Bengals need to win to fill seats, but a stud number one pick, rookie quarterback coming to town, should definitely help. And I think, and I could be wrong about this, but I think the Bengals will sell out a lot of games if they pick Joe Burrow number one. Think back to the excitement of Carson Palmer in his first year starting under Marvin Lewis. They were coming off an 8-8 eight and eight season the first time. They didn't have a losing season in a very, very long time, coming out of the lost decade. I think there would be something similar. And part of this is you would get a contingent of traveling fans from Athens, Ohio. I really believe that. I think that there are a number of people from Athens, Ohio. Right now, you, you go read the piece on Bengals.com right now. Jeff Hobson went out to Athens talk to some of the people that live there. There's a split of Browns, Steelers, and Bengals fans there because it's kind of right in the middle of all three of those places. If you were to make a triangle or if you were to draw a line from Athens to Pittsburgh, Athens to Cincinnati, Athens to Cleveland, it's not that different. So there's a mix of fans there. But if Joe Burrow becomes a Cincinnati Bengal, when Joe Burrow becomes a Cincinnati Bengal, I think a lot of those people convert. And I bet a lot of them travel to Cincinnati, especially in the first year to fill some of those seats and just the excitement, right? And and with the expectation that the Bengals will do more in free agency this year as well, I think there will be a lot of excitement around the team. There's going to be new young talent and, and Joe Burrow certainly, I think, can fill some seats. I think that it will have a dramatic at- effect on attendance. You've got to remember 2019, their worst year since the 90s in terms of attendance. And if they show they're serious about getting this thing right back on track, drafting Joe Burrow, easy to see some some sellouts in the Bengals' future. Moving on, next question comes from Chico Ruiz, 2654. 
He asks, assuming they couldn't trade the pick, how many of the 32 teams in the NFL do you think would take Joe Burrow if they had the number one overall pick? I'm guessing at least 20. He's not sure about the Jets, Redskins, Eagles, Browns, or Rams. And this is an interesting question because I actually went through this uh, 10 days ago. On February 10th, I tweeted this. Joe asked, if if every NFL team had the choice between Burrow and Young, how many do you think would take Burrow? He thought 17 Burrow, 15 Young. So I went through, and I went through every team in the NFL and answered this question. I also came to 17 teams picking Joe Burrow, and the question marks I had were Buffalo and New York. I, I think that they would both go young because those quarterbacks are still young, but... I think that there's a chance they would go to Burrow, especially Buffalo, but I think they both like their quarterbacks enough. And then in the AFC North, it would be Cleveland and Baltimore picking Chase Young. I think Pittsburgh, no no doubt, would love to have Joe Burrow given the age of Ben Roethlisberger. In the AFC South, all the teams except for Houston, I think, would pull the trigger on Chase Young. Those teams are all QB needy. Tennessee, Indianapolis, Jacksonville all could use quarterbacks of the future. Jacksonville being the only question, I think, because they are saddled, absolutely saddled with that Nick Foles contract they gave out. In the AFC West, I think that Denver would stick with Drew Locke for another year. Kansas City, obviously, is satisfied at quarterback, but Oakland and the Chargers, both easy Joe Burrow. In the NFC East, switching gears, I think all four teams pick Chase Young. Washington has Dwayne Haskins. The Giants like Daniel Jones for some reason. Dallas, I expect to bring back Dak Prescott. And Philly, you've got Carson Wentz. And and there's a bit of a question for me with Washington as to whether or not they're committed with uh, Dwayne Haskins. But I think that he gets at least one more year, right? And, And so I think all four of those teams pick chase young don't pick a quarterback despite those quarterback situations for new york and washington not being very good just because of the recency of drafting their guy and and gettleman's stubbornness i don't see them going for it then you go to the nfc north and these are all teams that have decent situations at quarterback except for chicago but i think they all would pick joe burrow green bay you have aaron Rodgers; he's aging and green bay has shown the willingness to pick a quarterback behind an aging star before obviously aaron Rodgers. Minnesota, I think, could use a young quarterback, and I think that's an easy borough. Chicago, obviously, to replace the experiment that hasn't worked out very well for them with Mitchell Trubisky, who's going to go down as one of the bigger busts, could go down as one of the bigger busts in NFL history. And Detroit, with the age and the injuries for Matthew Stafford, I know he's still relatively young for quarterbacks in the NFL, but I, I have a hard time thinking they wouldn't pull the trigger there. NFC South, I think only Atlanta sticks with Chase Young. But then I looked and I saw how old Matt Ryan was. So it wouldn't surprise me if all four of these teams picked Burrow. Carolina with Cam Newton having question marks around injury. I could see them going Burrow pretty easily here and then trying to deal Cam the way the Bengals are with Andy Dalton. Tampa doesn't have a quarterback under contract right now. Easy way to fix that, draft Joe Burrow. Atlanta, I originally went with Young because I think Matt Ryan has some years left, but That team has not won much lately, and it wouldn't surprise me at all after I checked on Matt Ryan's age if they were to go Burrow instead. And then New Orleans, obviously Joe Burrow to succeed Drew Brees, and and that would happen in pretty short order, I think. So then last division is the NFC West. I think 
San Francisco picks Burrow, and this isn't because they necessarily aren't happy with Jimmy G. I think that this is because they don't need another first-round defensive lineman. They've got so many of them on that team, it just doesn't make sense to me for them to go there again. And then Seattle, uh, the Los Angeles Rams, and Arizona, I think all of those teams would land on Chase Young as well. So I end up at 17 or 18, not quite 20, but that's every team in the NFL and, and which way I think they would go. And obviously the Bengals will pick Joe Burrow. Next question comes from Bengals fan forever. Love for future A1 on Twitter. Why do teams give out guaranteed money in contracts? And this is probably a question because the CBA is very close to a done deal. If it's not a done deal by the time you listen to this, shouldn't the players have to earn it every year? I don't get it. Here's the thing. The NFL is the only major sport, and I don't know about hockey, but baseball basketball contracts for veterans besides the non-guaranteed deals in the NBA, the 15-day deals or whatever, those deals are fully guaranteed. Baseball in particular, fully guaranteed contracts for $300 million for a guy like Mike Trout, Steven Strasburg. The the stars of baseball make so much money, and and it's not like there's more money in baseball than football. So football is is behind the times for, for giving out guaranteed money to players in these deals. And, and so why do teams give it out? It's, it's just the way it works in in sports. The, the players deserve some level of guaranteed salary because the, the organizations have guaranteed revenue sharing and the players are guaranteed a certain portion of that revenue as well because the players are the ones that are driving that revenue to the teams. I think in the new CBA, it's something like a 48-52 split with the owners who are 32 people or 32 groups pulling in more money than the players, 48% for the 32 times 50 some odd, 53, 55, whatever players on each team, the, the skew heavily favors the owners. So why do teams give out guaranteed money in contracts? Because that's the way labor relations are going in professional sports. The players, in my opinion, deserve more credit than the owners for the money that the NFL is bringing in. And since the players are the ones that are the product, they deserve to get paid for it, even if they get hurt. Final question I'm going to take here comes from Greg Borchers. With the details of the CBA coming out with a $15 million exception for the funding rule effective in 2020, what does that mean for the Bengals? Also, does the CBA impact 2020 rookies? We'll get back to some of the CBA stuff next week when we have the full details. We'll get some more information, especially if this thing gets finalized here over the weekend. So I'm going to focus on the $15 million exception. We're going to talk about this more too, but I'm going to give a quick answer here because one of the biggest issues for the Bengals in free agency is that guaranteed money. And Joe has some good tweets on the topic. So we'll let Joe revisit this when he's back with me next week but if this is a 15 million dollar exception meaning if i have 30 million dollars guaranteed on a contract i only have to put 15 million of that into escrow at the time of the contract currently in the cba all guaranteed money needs to be put away in escrow at the time the contract is signed that means the bengals who are not very cash liquid at least by our understanding have to put all of that money cash into escrow they have to part with that money at the time they sign a guaranteed deal. So if 
the Bengals instead only have to do $15 million. We'll say a $20 million deal. I only have to put $5 million into escrow. $20 million guaranteed, only $5 million instead of $20 million into escrow. Well, suddenly the Bengals can guarantee a lot more money. Will other teams just do this? Will this just raise the amount of guaranteed money everyone gets? Maybe. But the cash flush teams, as Joe points out on his Twitter account, generally don't shy away from guaranteed money anyway. They, they aren't worried about it. This is something that uniquely impacts the Bengals for not having much cash on hand. So the Bengals, maybe this means they get to play in free agency more. Maybe this means they get to guarantee more money because they don't have to have the cash up front. It's hard for me to imagine being a professional sports owner and not having that cash up front with a $160 million player payroll or $180 million payer pay, player payroll. You have all that money on the payroll and you can't put another $20 million out there. Maybe they're just strapped. Maybe they're uh, using all the money they have coming in every year. They don't have other revenue streams besides the NFL revenue sharing and the team and some use of the facility, I think. So this should help the Bengals and we'll get into that more next week. That's going to do it for this episode, though, of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We'll be back next week. The Combine's going on. We'll have some guests on the show, at least one, and we'll get back into the stuff. We, we, the, the Combine will impact Mock Draft Monday. So whenever we get around to doing our next Mock Draft, when we have Combine results, that'll be exciting. And off we go, right? Into draft season in full. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.